0: There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our Constitutional Republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett.
1: Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. Today, we're going to enter a world that is familiar to nearly everyone, but most don't really think about it. It's the world of private label branding in supermarkets. Think about it this way. You go to the supermarket to buy a can of peas. On the shelf, you see Del Monte, a national brand, and other cans of peas under different labels, perhaps with the store's name. Those are private label products. Now, we have a terrific guest today who's an expert in the world of private label, Greg Pullman. Uh, Greg has worked professionally in the store brand industry for 40 years. He's an expert in private labeling store brands. Greg worked for the cream of the crop in private labeling, Topco Associates and Damon Associates, which together cover over 50% of all private label product sales in the United States. And Greg was also part of the original startup team that brought Aldi stores to the United States. Greg is an expert in the private label industry, and he has documented what he has learned in his book, Thinking Store Brands First, Best Practice Guidelines to Enhance Customer Loyalty and Increased Operating Profits. So welcome, Greg, to It's All About Skills.
2: Charlie, it's my pleasure to be with you today. It's uh, great to uh, renew our friendship from prior, prior years and uh, look forward to sharing with you today on this important topic of private label.
1: Well, I'm excited about it, too, and it's been a long time since we've had kind of a conversation. But, hey, let's start with a little background. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you went to school and college, and that sort of thing.
2: Charlie, I grew up in a small rural town called Cahoka, Missouri. Cahoka has just over 2,000 residents. It's the uh, county seat of Clark County, which is in northeast Missouri. Clark County, uh, for those who like geography, it's bordered on the north by the Iowa state line and on the east by the Illinois state line. I attended uh, grade school and high school in Cahoka and then started my college years at Southwest Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri. Today it's called Missouri State University. I was there for three years. And then after my junior year, I transferred to Northeast Missouri State University in Kirksville, Missouri. Today, that university is known as Truman University. And I completed my bachelor's degree there in business administration. And I also earned a bachelor's degree in social sciences.
1: Well, you literally grew up in the supermarket industry, from what I understand. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, Charlie, my father, uh, Luther Pullman, spent 45 years in the supermarket industry, 16 years he worked for an independent owner, and 29 years he worked for the Benner Tea Company, whose headquarters and distribution center were located in Burlington, Iowa. And actually, I was eight years old when I began working in my father's giant food store. Uh, I worked through grade school, high school, and then in the summers while I was in college for both my father and for Benner Tea. So growing up in the grocery store business with my father gave me just an excellent foundation uh, in the supermarket industry as my hands-on experience let me work in all departments, and that let me fully understand how a supermarket operates.
1: Wow. Well, now, Greg, when shopping at a supermarket, a customer goes into the canned vegetable shelves or thereabouts and looks for a can of peas. Now The customer has a choice between a national brand, as I mentioned earlier, like Del Monte, and a store brand like Kirkland or President's Choice and so forth, or even the store, even the supermarket's name. Now, what's this all about anyway?
2: Charlie, initially, uh, most supermarkets only sold packaged goods that were national brands, such as Del Monte that you mentioned. I would add brands like Folgers and Coffee or Nabisco in Cookies and Crackers. But in the early 1950s and into the 60s, retailers began to understand that they could sell packaged goods under their own brand names. And as you mentioned, some brands were names the retailer or the wholesaler owned, such as Kirkland Signature or President's Choice. Yet some retailers chose to use their store banner name on the product, such as uh, the Kroger brand. there's a section in my ebook on the history of store brands in the. US. So uh, I go into quite a bit more detail about the history of the brands, but that's how store brands really um, really evolved and got started in our country, it was first national brands and then retailers got smart and figured out they could use their
1: own names on products.: So labels like uh, when you go into Costco, for example, Kirkland or President's Choice, you know, for things like that, are private labels. So tell us a little bit about private labeling. Why And why do supermarket chains sell private label products? Well, actually,
2: private label, private labeling comes from the concept that the brand name is privately owned by the retailer, or the wholesaler, or the supplier. So in other words, The brand name itself, Kirkland Signature or President's Choice, it's both trademarked and registered by the retailer. In this case, Kirkland Signature by Costco and President's Choice by Loblaws in Canada. And once those brand names are trademarked, then no other retailer or wholesaler can use them. For instance, take Oreo cookies. Both the Oreo name and the Nabisco logo are registered and trademarked with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Thus, no other company can use the Oreo name or the Nabisco logo. And even words, it goes beyond the brand name, even words such as Kills Bugs Dead, uh, used on Raid insecticides, are trademarked by the manufacturer who happens to be SC Johnson. I'll always remember when I was with Topco, we launched a line of Topcrest insecticides, Topcrest being the trademark brand of Topco but we put kills bugs dead on some of the flying insect cans. And after we were in the market a few months, we got a nice letter from the folks at SC Johnson saying we were in violation of trade dress. And we had to take the kills bugs dead uh, off the packaging because that's a violation of the patent and trademark uh, rules in our country. So the other thing that I think your listeners would enjoy knowing is that registration and trademarks, they must be done by every country in every country where the retailer or manufacturer chooses to sell products. And so over the years, the supermarket industry has referred to private brands using a number of terms. And this is also, I think, important for the listeners. That they're referred to as store brands, or sometimes they're called own brands, or they're even called corporate brands. But there's a distribution clause on the package of all private brand products that indicates distributed by the specific retailer or wholesaler or with national and regional brands, the manufacturer that the national brand name belongs to is in that distribution clause. So in the case of store brands, the manufacturer is not listed. Just the name of the retailer or the wholesaler who owns and distributes the brand name is listed within the distribution clause.
1: I see. Now, just to be clear here, um, I'm just wondering, when you go into a typical supermarket like Kroger or Safeway or something like that, how many products are we talking about in a supermarket that can be private labeled? I mean, you have canned goods and you can have things like mops and washcloths and stuff like that. Even, even, uh, even clothing and that sort of thing. And produce, how many products are we, we talking about? I've heard, I've heard it's in the neighborhood of 2000.
2: Oh, it can be even larger than that because it encompasses frozen food. It encompasses dairy. It encompasses grocery edible uh, it picks up uh, grocery non-foods, it covers all health and beauty care categories, and what's been amazing is the perishable side of the business has grown extra, it's just grown leaps and bounds over the last especially 10 to 15 years. So in, in fresh meat, retailers use their own name on fresh meat products. Uh, in the deli, uh, they have products that are sold in the deli cases that are under their own brand names it might even be packaged potato salad or coleslaw it goes on and on the bakery sections of the stores so you would find many retailers today that have upwards of four or five thousand SKUs under their own under their own name maybe even more than that depending on how, long, how large the store is wow. you get into big mass retailers like Walmart and T- Target the skew count could be even, you know, very, very much larger than a couple of thousand SKUs.
1: Wow. That's, uh, that, that, that's impressive. Now let's get something clear. You know, I look at a can of peas and I'm not picking on Del Monte or anything like that, but let's, you look at a can of peas like Del Monte, and then you look at a private label can of peas. How does the quality of the private label product compare with the national brand?
2: Well, initially uh, most store brand products um, were, were marketed solely based on having the lowest price. Then I think it's important to know that retailers began to realize that quality was critically important to consumers. Thus, retailers started developing written specifications for the quality attributes of their store brand products. Now, in the case of peas, the quality is based on grades So you have grade A, you have grade B, and you have grade C. And these grades for canned vegetables, uh, they're based on the uniformity of size, they're based on color, and they're also based on the amount of blemishes that are on the peas themselves. So in the case of Del Monte, their peas are grade A fancy. So retailers who position their canned peas next to Del Monte (laughs) would require their suppliers to produce grade A fancy peas. In reality, the national brand products don't always meet their quality specifications 100% of the time. But for store brands, with suppliers who followed rigid, they follow rigid quality control specifications, those products will be equal to the national brand counterpart item, I would say 97 to 98% of the time. Again, no brand, including the national brands, is perfect. Thus, having a system to monitor your quality is key to your store brand program. It's critical. So, you know, you don't want the consumer to buy a can of peas expecting to get Del Monte quality and they, they get grade B or they get grade C because then they're gonna be disappointed with that purchase.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, the consumer is standing there at the, in the supermarket uh, aisle and looking mm-hmm. at these cans of peas and then checks the price. So how does this price, how does the price that consumer pay for a private label product uh, compare with that of the national brands?
2: Well, I'm really glad you asked that question because in my ebook, chapter one, uh, I titled it, Why Pay More? And that particular chapter includes a comparison where we actually analyze six different retailers to compare store brand prices with their counterpart national brand items. We use two mass merchants, Walmart and Target, and we used four regional retailers that I'm sure you're familiar with. Jewel Osco here in the Chicagoland area. We used Schnuck Markets down in St. Louis. We used Meijer, which is based in Grand Rapids, but has stores in multiple states. And we used Mariano's, which is here in the Chicagoland area, which is now owned by Kroger. And what we did, Charlie, is we took approximately 45 items that a family of four would purchase weekly. And we, we we picked them from around the store, not in several different categories. And then we determined the savings that the consumers would receive by purchasing store brands. And on the low side, the savings were over 20%. And on the high side, the savings were actually, they exceeded 30%. And if you were to put in discount retailers into that equation, such as Aldi or Save-A-Lot or Lidl, I, I assure you the savings would be over 40%. So that's significant when you think about the amount of money that you save when you buy store brands versus the national brands.
1: You bet it is. So it sounds like the consumer could grab a can of peas for, with the uh, with the uh, with the store brand and and be assured of uh, the same quality, but just at a lower price. Exactly. Uh, so now. Okay, tell me about who made who who produces that those peas that in those that are in those uh, store brand cans. Anyway, I mean, is it sometimes the national brand producer itself?
2: I think I've got the handle on it for you there. Uh, In the case of canned peas, I would mention a company like Seneca Foods. If you've heard of Seneca Foods before, they're one of the largest store brand canned vegetable suppliers in our country. So there's a lot of canned peas that are being produced by Seneca Foods. But overall, if you think about the whole store uh, and that that skew mix that we talked about earlier, about 70% of the store brand products are actually produced by suppliers who don't manufacture national brand products. Uh, one supplier I would mention on non-food side, Clearwater Paper Company, they used to be the Potlatch Paper Corporation. For years, they have been a a very successful manufacturer in paper goods, and they don't do anything but store brand. They produce store brand products only. Um, However, about 30 percent of the store brand product base is manufactured by suppliers who do produce national or regional brand products. An example here would be the H.J. Heinz Company. You know They're a large, well-known branded ketchup uh, supplier, but (laughs) they're also a large supplier of private label canned soups so you know you've got you've got a just a plethora of manufacturers out there some branded companies that are doing store brands but again there's all you know the percentage is about 70 30 now that may have shifted uh since i've been active in the business but well while, while i was in the business that was that was the ratio
1: Wow. Hey, one, let's, uh, let's just suppose that you and I go into business together. and We form Greg and Charlie's supermarket and we have a chain and that sort of stuff. And we, we talk to each other and say, say, gee, you know, having private label products might be a pretty good idea. And we want to do that, but we don't have enough talent to do it ourselves. So how do we go about uh, getting private label into our chain with uh, some organization that might help us?
2: Well, that's, You know, I lived that path for for a number of years working with the retailers and wholesalers that I did. In chapter eight of my book, I titled that chapter, Evolve Your Assortment for Today's Marketplace. And I recommended that retailers and wholesalers would take what I refer to in my book as the 100% challenge, which is a process of determining which brands should be offered in addition to store brands and which brands should be actually discontinued from store shelves. Now, the retailers and wholesalers today have a great tool, and it's called syndicated data. And syndicated data providers such as IRI and AC Nielsen, they offer excellent information as to which brands have the greatest national market share and which brands are very strong regionally. So for some categories, we would recommend offering only a store brand in a particular segment or what we refer to as a 100% solution store brand category. Now to break that down a little bit in departments like frozen foods, for example, individually quick frozen IQF fruit, we always thought was a recommended 100% solution category, along with items in frozen like B grade frozen potatoes or chopped onions or frozen Chinese pea pods. Uh, but for a category for an item in frozen like A grade frozen potatoes, OREIDA is the uh, leading national brand. So we tagged that a 50% solution category, where we said, you really need to offer store brand and oreida and you'll be just fine in that category. Now we targeted frozen vegetables as either a 33% solution or a 25% solution category, since there are enough solid brands in frozen to merit carrying either two or three brands in addition to store brand. So for Charlie and Greg's supermarket, (laughs) I've established the 100% uh, challenge process and determine my brand assortment per each category. So if you do that, then what you would, my store, our store, would have store brands first, along with those brands that mean the most to my local customer base. And I think that's the smart way to go to market in terms of deciding how many brands, store brands, national or regional
1: yeah. Now well, somebody comes in and knocks on the door and says, Hey, Greg, hey, Charlie, we can run your private label business for you. And we're we're from Damon Associates. You know, not a lot of people haven't heard of Damon Associates, but tell us a little bit about what they could do for us.
2: Well, let's let's take uh, let's take Topco first because Topco, my progression and okay. career was was uh, was Topco first and then with Damon, but The name Topco, let's start there, stands for top companies. And top retailers and top wholesalers who collectively own Topco, which is first and foremost, Topco is a procurement company. But it's also a company that provides a number of ancillary services to its member owners. So as a procurement company, what Topco does is they combine the volume of their member owners and then they negotiate on their behalf with store brand suppliers to secure the best possible costs. For TopCo members, TopCo becomes the buyer of record for store brands. So the retailers and wholesalers who own TopCo, they turn that procurement function over to TopCo to negotiate in their behalf. But then TopCo also offers some other ancillary services to their members such as warehouse consolidation for slower selling items or packaging design and brand name development. And as I think we talked about a little earlier, they do extensive quality assurance work for the store brand products that their retailer and wholesaler members sell in their stores. Now as to Damon, think about it a little differently. Damon is a sales and marketing organization who represents store brand manufacturers and they place Damon Associates inside retailer or wholesaler headquarters Or they establish local offices in the markets where those retailers and wholesalers operate. So what they do is their associates provide sales and marketing support that helps their retail and wholesale customers expand their store brand sales and penetration. Now, you have to keep in mind that retailers and wholesalers are bombarded day in and day out by national and regional brand manufacturers. And what do they do? Well, they're there to call on headquarters to get maximum exposure for the branded products. Now, well, think of Damon. They focus primarily on store brands and help, they help keep those products top of mind with their affiliated retailers and wholesalers. Things like making sure store brand items are in the ads, making sure store brand items are on display in the stores, making sure store brand items have the prominent location in planogram, shelf schematics, making sure that store brand items get cross-merchandised with other products in the store. And how about product demos, making sure that, that products are put on demo for consumers to try those products in different locations of the store. So think of Topco as the buyer or the sourcing arm and the provider of related product services, and think of Damon as the sales and marketing arm to drive the store brand business to record levels inside that retailer or wholesaler headquarters. Hope that gives you a good distinction of the two.
1: It does. It does. And and you know, I think our listeners don't really under or rep, understand and and uh, grasp the the reach of these organizations like Time Topco and Damon in that supermarket chains like giant uh, giant eagle uh, giant Foods hi V schnooks Myers jewel they they work with Damon and Topco and they and they basically uh, Damon and Topco help them with their private label business and you know why would they do that do they make more money selling private label products than they do uh, national brands what's the deal I, I,
2: well I would I would answer that first of all don't forget that we forget you know I think um, it's just that's just the way it is. Retailers forget they get they get brainwashed a little bit from the national brands. So if you don't have Taco and Damon focused on store brands, it just they forget. So I think um, that would be the way I would answer that. Um, it's it's just so important that you have two organizations like that, that really keep store brands top of mind and, and really make a big difference in driving the business forward.
1: Well, that would really take the load off of you and me in our supermarket chain, it seems to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it would. Hey, well, uh, Greg, now you you worked with Topco and you worked with Damon. And uh, tell me when you were an executive, by the way, this, this, uh, this episode is about skills, not canned peas so much. So let's get into the skills area. So when you were an executive at those organizations, what kind of skills did you need to be successful?
2: Well, Charlie, given that both organizations are pretty large and have multiple customers, you know, Damon has customers all over the country and literally around the world. Topco has members outside the U.S. as well as the U.S. Uh, I would say being a team player uh, would, would be keenly important. Uh, for instance, if I was assigned by Damon, let's say to Food City Supermarkets down in Abingdon, Virginia, when I was at Food City headquarters, it was vital that myself and our Damon associates were considered to be a very important part of their management team. So at Damon, we had to first listen, listening skills are critical, <clears throat> and then to observe, and then to apply our collective knowledge to help Food City obtain their objectives. So I found my my personal commitment to the store brand industry that it, that was very key in building what I always worked at was to be a trusted advisor, have that trusted advisor relationship with retailers, wholesalers, and suppliers that we represented. So think about it from the other side. If, if you're a serv- service provider like Damon is, no customer wants to work with people who are halfway committed to their business. I mean, The key is you got to be full, you got to be full on. I mean, when you're at Food City, the people who are there have got to be almost as if they were employed by Food City. You've got to be committed to that business. Now at Topco, let's say, let's turn it around. If we were working with Red Gold to sell more store brand tomatoes and store brand ketchup, I also had to listen. I had to observe and I had to learn about Red Gold's operation so I could help them be a vital source of supply with the TopCo member retailers and wholesalers. Now, in the case of procurement, I would say negotiating from a win-win perspective was always a key to achieving company goals at TopCo and also my personal goals. So it was critical that Red Gold perceived me, a TopCo associate, to be firm, but also to be fair in the way that I conducted business with their management team, Thus, I would say being totally honest, being transparent, those were always top of mind with me. And the last one I would mention would just be being able to multitask. You can't imagine the, uh, the artillery fire that comes at you when you're on a buying desk at Topco or, or when you're in the selling world at Damon. You constantly have issues that are all important and being able to, to juggle those and make them all a priority and get them in the end zone. Those are really key to being successful in those, uh, those two companies.
1: Wow, it sounds like in order to be successful, you had to have uh, great knowledge and good business sense, not only of, uh, of uh, private label things, but you had to know about the company, what they were up to, uh, the products, and you had to have knowledge about the consumer. And you, know, you learned uh, over the years a great deal about private labeling and store brands, and you, you wrote a book about it. And that book is Thinking Store Brands First. Okay, so Greg, tell us what this book is all about.
2: Well, Charlie, when I retired, <clears throat> I really had three primary goals that I wanted to accomplish. Um, and one of those goals was to, to really give back in some way to the store brand industry that gave me so much during my career. And I believe until 2018, when my ebook was, was published and released, To the best of my knowledge, there was just one other book that had been written about store brands, and it was called Private Label Strategy. I have a copy of it here. It was was published uh, into the market by uh, two different people. One was a professor at North Carolina Carolina University, Um, but their book really had chapters devoted to how to compete with store brands. And I really wanted, you know, my ebook to, um, to be about best practices for store brands. You know, I had been on all sides of the store brand desk. I was a buyer. I was a retailer. I worked in operations. I worked in procurement. I worked in sales and marketing and creative design. I mean, i had been on all sides of the business and logistics. And um, I really felt like I was in a position where I could, could come at the industry and say, You know, if you're a supplier, you're a retailer, you're a wholesaler, you may be a broker or you're a distributor and you're involved in this business. What are the best practices that need to be taken in uh, your organization in order for store brands to achieve their maximum sales and penetration levels? So I also keenly recognize that the U.S. is far below store brand penetration levels when compared to many other countries in the world. So thus, I wanted my ebook to be a resource that the entire industry could benefit from so store brands can ultimately achieve their full potential in the U.S. uh, consumer packaged goods marketplace. I mean, think about it. Um, You have retailers in the U.K. that have well over 40% dollar penetration for store brands, retailers like Sainsbury or Marks and Spencer. In the U.S., the store brand penetration dollars is around 18%. uh, Countries like Spain, they have penetration well over 40%. So the U.S. is underperforming. I wanted to give back. What, what works the best if you're in, in that business? What should you be doing in your organization? You know, I have one chapter that's all about planning and execution. How do you write a business plan for your store brand business? So uh, it was my life for 40 years. I felt like I had seen what had worked really well, <laughs> and what didn't work so well. So, you know, I wanted the book to be about, hey, these things really work. And then I ended the book with one chapter on how I see store brands into the future. And that, that was the purpose in writing it. It was like me giving back to an industry that gave me so very much.
1: Well, well how do you see store brands in the future?
2: Well, I think that um, store brand Penetration will grow when retailers convince themselves that they should not run their businesses based on trade dollars from the national brands. There's a lot of money that comes to retailers based on store brand or based on national brand performance. But if you really look at EBITDA and you look at where, you know, what is the profit advantage from from selling store brand products? Where do I make the most money? And so I have a chapter in my book called The Power of 1%. And what I do is I analyze how much incremental profit goes to the retailer's bottom line every time they increase store brand penetration in 1% increments. Now it's huge, especially when you start talking about retailers that are doing multiple billion dollars a year in sales. So, Store brands will grow when the more retailers understand that profit and don't run their business based on trade dollars from the national brands. They run their business based on what's really best for my business. And uh, you know, that, that power of 1% chapter analyzes the penny profit that's generated on a dollar's worth of sale from all store brands versus all national brands. And I, I assure you, it is significantly higher on the store brand side. So once that light bulb goes off, then I think you're going to see the store brand penetration continue to grow in this country. And I think it could easily get to 30% where many European retailers are already at. But I think that, uh, you know, you take a chain like Loblaws up in Canada, they're already over 30%. So I think that's going to be key to the, to the growth into the future.
1: Well, Greg, uh, it sounds like it's a, a, a an interesting book that you really... You really unloaded your knowledge into it. But how can someone get a hold of that book anyway?
2: Well, I had an agreement with Ensemble IQ, and they are the publishers of Progressive Grocer, Store Brands, Inc., and uh, Retail Retail Leader. And I gave them a two-year exclusive to the book when it was available on their website through August of 2020. So uh, it is it is not available through them right now. If someone wants a copy of the book, I'd be happy to just have them email me. If you have my email address, they can email me. I can easily see that they get a copy of it. Um, I've thought about uh, trying to find an, a, a new publisher for the book. Uh, actually, what I've been thinking about doing is doing it in a hard copy this time versus ebook, because it was an ebook initially. It took it takes about two and a half to three hours to read it, probably.
1: So if they want to get a hold of you, which, what is your email address anyway?
2: It is uh, Pullman Greg, and my name is P-O-H-L-M-A-N-N, Greg G-R-E-G, at Comcast.net. So if Polman they want to reach Greg, out to me.
1: Pullman Greg at Comcast.net. Correct. So it sounds to me like the bottom line that you've told me about the store brands and told our audience about store brands is that when the consumer, when they consider store brands really has added value savings and availability, and they can, uh, they can re- they, they can get virtually any product they want on a private label or a store brand that they can on a national brand. Is that right?
2: Well, it is because Charlie, if you think about added value if you have a product that has consistently good product quality and then you and uh, and let's assume that that quality is equal to or better than the brand and then you have savings for that product so that the customer doesn't have to pay as much for the store brand as they do for the national brand so there's savings and then availability is really key if you put product quality savings and availability, that to me is added value for customers. So think about the savings. Why not use those savings for purchasing brands for other parts of your, or or why not use the savings from purchasing store brands for other parts of your household budget? Uh, You know, I've, I've scratched my head for years. Why do consumers choose to pay more for national brands when store brands are just as good? And the truth is, customers do not have to trade down in quality when they buy a store brand product. And I always think about availability. How many times have you actually been disappointed when your favorite retailer was out of your favorite brand? I mean, that happens. And my experience says this is an issue more so with the brands than it is with store brands. So you bet added value. It's that product quality. It's the savings and it's the availability. And when the consumer finds out that They've saved, the quality is just as good. They can get it whenever they go into the store. Uh, you know, I rest my case. <laughs>
1: it sounds like Greg and Charlie supermarket wins too when we promote the private, private label. Even though when you say the power of 1%, 1% is kind of small. But then when you talk about the thousands and thousands and thousands of cans of peas we can sell, that turns out to be a lot of money for us.
2: It does. And that's the real value of the store brand for the retailer. And as we worked with retailers and wholesalers around the country, <clears throat> we were constantly showing them what the margins were, the differences in margin. And it's, it's really significant. And so um, that profitability is, is very, very, very important.
1: Well, now, Greg, looking back, you had a 40-year career In the store brand industry where you are up close and personal to products, you're up close and personal to the consumer, to manufacturers, to operations and that sort of thing, what would you consider to be the most important critical skills that you had to rely on to be, you know, to gain the success that you did?
2: Charlie, I felt like there were three um, skills or attributes that were critical to me in my career. I, I believe first and foremost that people have to like you. So how you present yourself is key. And I found that establishing and building long lasting relationships uh was really, really important. Uh there's a chapter in my book called Relationships, the good sticky glue. And um Th- that would be number one, is, is make sure that people like you. Now, second, people have to trust you. So thus, building and maintaining your reputation is, is critical. And third, I would say people have to perceive you as being like them. In other words, customers must want to do business with you and your organization. They must see you and your company. They would need to see me and Topco or me and Damon. As a great fit with their management team. Thus, the attitude that you convey about yourself and your company, to me, <clears throat> they're everything to your success. And the last thing I think that what this particular industry, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. You know, work in the stores, work in the warehouse, go to manufacturing plants, <clears throat> and learn the business from the inside out because. I can't tell you the number of times when I would go. Now, we had to be careful to some degree because if I was calling on, let's say, Food City and they wanted to know what, what were all their other retailers doing, we have to be careful not to, to divulge information from one competitor to another, but the knowledge that you would carry with you and um, the ability that you could help those companies, it was very rewarding. So I think, again, be liked, be trusted, and be perceived to be like them because they are your customer.
1: It sounds like that's the kind of advice you would give a group of young people uh, if you were addressing a high school graduation exercise or something like (laughs) that, when uh, you were talking to them about, and and you knew they had an interest in retail marketing, like the supermarket business. And those are sort of the kind of skills and things that you would tell them. Am I right on that? Or what else would you say?
2: Well, I have a a plaque here. Uh, You can't Uh, maybe see it right now, but it's in my home office. And it simply says, in golf and in life, it's the follow through that makes the difference. Now, if I could change that statement slightly, I would add in golf, in business, and in life, it's the follow through that makes the difference. So this statement, to me says that doing what you say you will do is everything. So for someone who wants to get involved in the retail industry and supermarkets, be committed to your chosen business, adapt what I call a never ending thirst for learning, because it's, it's so critically important. And then I would say, make follow through your middle name. You know, if you commit to someone that you're going to do something, do it. And if you can't get it done, let them know why you can't get it done. What, what's the reason. So I think, um, those would be the, uh, the skills that I think people entering this industry need, need to possess.
1: Wow. Well, Greg, I can't imagine somebody like you being idle, given what you've done in your career thus far. And so what are you doing these days and what do you plan to do in the future? (laughs) Well, Charlie, I'm I'm so
2: blessed. Uh, Jane and I, my wife are living here in the Chicagoland area where we're close by to our two sons. We have two daughter-in-laws and, uh, we have five grandchildren. Um, My sons are both teachers and coaches at the high school level. Thus, I really enjoy taking in their teams games in both golf and basketball. Um, In addition to writing the ebook, when I initially uh, retired, I tried to, I have tried to spend a portion of my time serving my church as an elder. Um, I've chaired two committees and served on our session, which is our governing body. And I have found those activities extremely rewarding. Um, I also grew up with a mother who was a very gifted musician and piano instructor. So I enjoy playing my Baldwin piano almost every day, uh, which I find very, very therapeutic. Um, I'm a big George Winston fan, and I try to play a lot of his pieces, and I've seen him in concert several times live. And so uh, fortunately, I can still play, and I enjoy that a lot. I also enjoy uh, playing golf. Um, I play uh, several times each week during the warmer weather, and I also like to fish for trout and bass. And both of those sports or activities gets me outside during the, the warmer weather months. And um, as I said earlier, while my first book was an ebook format, I may tackle doing a second edition, but make this a hard copy reference manual version that companies can use with their associates who are actively involved in the consumer packaged goods business. And I guess the last thing I would mention just going forward uh, would be to spend more time with my five grandchildren who range in age from 15 down to eight, uh, four granddaughters and one grandson. And uh, what I find with them is that they provide me with, with just the constant reminder of how special life is when you can share it with your family. So um, uh, I, I make a few trips out to the Western suburbs and make some trips down to the Southern suburbs to spend time with them, which is, uh, is always fabulous.
1: Well, Greg, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, we've been really privileged to have you, Greg Pullman, who is an expert in private label labeling, be our guest today on It's All About Skills.
2: Thanks, Charlie. It's been my pleasure. Always uh, enjoy visiting with you and talking about my favorite subject, which is store brands.
1: You got it, my friend. And it's certainly clear that you really enjoy that business and you're really, really good at it. Now, as for me, I'm an internationally certified career coach and I specialize in career management, skill development, career crises, positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my websites, charliejetcoaching.com or podcastpq.com. So I want to thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.